Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. We are a fellowship of believers that come from all over the place and interesting backgrounds. I have gotten to know some of you and others probably don't know that. But I'm curious today, how, how many of you would say that you come from a, you know, or you have roots in a small town that is now kind of in decline? Quite a few of you. That would be the case for me. Uh, my hometown's population peaked around 1980 at uh, 626. It's been declining ever since. Uh, in the year 2000, it was down to 470, currently about 322. However, it is still the uh, 120th largest city in North Dakota. <laughs> <clears throat> um, in 1982, I believe it was, it was a big year for the town. Uh, the boys' b- uh, basketball team went to state. Uh, and, and after that, it seems the uh, population continues to shrink, and, and uh, so now that school is consolidated with four other towns in the county. The town used to have a very busy main street full of active businesses. Now they're fortunate. They, they still have an operating grocery store, a, a bank, and a gas station on that street. The churches in the town uh, back in the 1970s were fairly full. My home church had uh, 30 to 40 youths. Um, in their youth group 7 through 12 for, for at least a decade straight. Uh, uh, today, they have no youth group and, and a half dozen in Sunday school, which is a restart after not having any for a while, and uh, 25 to 30 on a good Sunday for worship. In many respects, you'd say it's a town in decline. Many re- residents recall those glory years of the 70s and 80s uh, with fondness. Maybe your hometown experienced a similar uh, discouraging decline. Well, that demographic shift from the rural areas to the cities is one way of looking at the history of our land. But I would say that there are there more significant areas of change um, and decline. And, and that is in the moral fiber and, and religious practice of our population. According to some uh, surveys here, found that about half of U.S. Uh, adults today say that Christianity's influence in American life is decreasing. About one-third of young adults in America say they never re- attended religious services or Sunday school at all during their formative years. Uh, about one in five um, Americans raised in religious tradition no longer um, identify with any religion as an adult. And about one in five uh, Americans say they don't believe in God. Perspectives on sexuality and gender have, have majorly shifted in, in many of our lifetimes. And that U.S. Uh, Supreme Court decision back in 2015 made it a requirement that all states recognize same-sex marriage, for instance. And, and what's followed in more recent years has been a major gender dysphoria, you can say, one that um, just, I, I saw something this last week that just kind of caught me. Um, 
most of you are familiar with um, emojis, you know, those little um, digital images or icons uh, used to express an idea or emotion that you can spice up your text messages with. Well, I, I saw a recent article telling us that, that Apple Computers has, has now added a pregnant man emoji. Out of concern to not leave out transsexuals who have carried a baby. You know, the farther a nation walks away from God and his word, the, the more bizarre its perspectives become. And it seems that God then somehow gives it over to its own devices and, and lets the decline take its course, resulting in political and economic chaos as well. And it, it may be too late to bring back the glory days of, of small-town America. But is it too late to see a major revival in this land, yet in the churches across our land, uh, that would impact our whole culture? Only God knows the answer to that. The, the prophet Isaiah ministered during an era of significant moral and spiritual decline in the nations of Israel and Judah. And as we look today then at Isaiah 64, <clears throat> uh, what we have here and it really is, is a prayer to God in the midst of such decline. I invite you to open your Bibles and look with me at that, uh, Isaiah 64. And, and um, please stand in reverence to God's word. Actually, I'm going to just step back to two verses right before that chapter starts. So, verse 18 of 63, as I begin. <clears throat> your holy people possessed your sanctuary for a little while. Our adversaries have trodden it down. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who were not called by your name. Now, verse 1 of 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as fire kindles the brushwood, as, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. <clears throat> For you have hidden your face from us and delivered us into the power of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire, and all of our precious things have become a ruin. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? Let us pray. Lord God, this, this is a, a prayer of Isaiah. It's 
kind of haunting in, in what it says as it recognizes the decline all around him. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we look at some things in our own world today, that you would speak to us through your word uh, about that decline and about your desire for, for us and for your church. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> As we've been uh, stepping into the new year, I've had headed my mind uh, four sermons for the new year. Uh, one of them being on the purpose and the power of God's word. And we looked at Isaiah 55 a couple weeks back. Also one, wanted to focus on the sanctity of human life. And last week then we looked at Isaiah 44. One was a call to prayer. And that is what I see here today in Isaiah 64. And you're going to have to show up on uh, the second Sunday in February to find out what the other one's about. Those last couple verses of Isaiah 63 reminded us of the decline that happened to those nations of Israel and Judah. And there it said, your holy people possessed your sanctuary for a little while. Our adversaries have trodden it down. We've become like those over whom you've never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Isaiah is remembering back to Israel and Judah's glory days when the nation was flourishing in about every way and the people brought the wealth of the land to build that magnificent temple in Jerusalem while Solomon was king. And they had it for a little while, actually for almost 400 years. But as the nation gradually turned its back on God, and they had ungodly rulers as well. There was a decline in many respects. And during Isaiah's years of ministry, he saw the destruction then of the northern kingdom of Israel at the hands of the Assyrians. And he also foresaw the coming of the Babylonians to overrun Jerusalem and even destroy that magnificent temple. And so what we have in our text today here then is Isaiah's heartfelt prayer to God as he sees this decline in his nation and it feels like God has removed his hand of blessing and people no longer recognize God at all. And he thinks to himself, well, what would it take to wake people up to the reality of their broken relationship with Almighty God? Lord, if, you could, if they could just catch a glimpse of your awesome power somehow. And he cries out then here in verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That is, if you, God, would, would just split, tear open the heavens and come down here and make an earthquake that shakes the mountains, I think that would get their attention for those that don't believe in you. What is Isaiah's bottom line desire here? It's that the Lord would make his name known. To who? He says here, to your adversaries. To, to those that don't believe in you or who stand openly opposed to you in your word, make your name known to them. Why? Well, that, that the nations would tremble at your presence. It, isn't that our desire today as well, that, that rulers and peoples of, of every land would, would once again recognize and worship their creator? That the skeptics and the mockers of God would tremble and humble themselves before him. How? What would it be like 
if God actually came down to earth and made himself known. Well, Isaiah thinks about it and he describes it here. He says, like fire kindles something. So, Lord, cause the nations to tremble. And think about fire here and how that works here. He describes it here. Like fire, for instance, ignites brushwood. You know, brushwood with, with just a, a spark, uh, you get a little flame going, and in no time it, it, it's a, a roaring fire. Or, or like he says, like fire causes water to boil. You know, if you put a kettle of water on a, on a gas stove, it, it heats up way faster than the electric one. Why is that? It's because of the flame. Lord, make your name known like fire causes things, he's saying. How? He also says this. Well, like, like you did it before. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai and you came down to him with flashes of blazing fire as you gave him the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. Verse 3, when you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. Lord, Lord, do something like that again. And as he thinks about God, whom he's praying to here, he, his heart responds also then in, in praise and worship of him, just thinking of who he is. And he says, Lord, there, there is no God like you. Compared to all those false gods of the nations around us, which, which become objects of worship, even though they're just man-made idols that can't really do anything. They're, they're unable to hear people's prayers or interact in any way. Lord, there's no God like you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him and, and who meets him, who rejoices in doing righteousness. And, and the picture here then is of a God who actually hears the prayers of his people and responds to their cry for help, a, a God who cares about his people and, and whose ears then are attentive to their cry, a, a God who meets us when we humble ourselves and, and we pray. Well, if we could only grasp how, how the Lord invites us to come to him in prayer. Do a Google search sometime of this here. Verses that say that God hears prayer. I, I did that, I found one list, a, a, a source that said there are a hundred different verses that tell us that. And I'll give you some examples here. Psalm 34, 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. Or Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Or 1 Peter 3, 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So why do people not pray? Well, these verses point to one of the reasons. Sin keeps us from prayer. It doesn't work to be coming to God and asking for his help in one area of our life and to be hiding from him in some other area. He, he sees right through all of that, and I'm reminded of that verse that says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. As Isaiah considers the situation in the nation of Judah, he, he is so aware that this is the problem, and he humbles himself before God on behalf of his nation. And, and the longest part of this prayer here, really, verses 5 to 7, it is a prayer then of confession. Lord, I confess our helpless, sinful state. And, and I see then in those verses, uh, 
eight things that he mentions, and I'm just going to walk through them briefly here as he thinks about this business of, his, of sin and the sin of the nation. He, he, he talks of here, your rightful wrath upon us. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned, he says, and, and we deserve your judgment. Our, our sins were not brief flashes of weakness, but rather we confess uh, our continuous sinful pursuit. We continued in them a, a long time, he prays. And Isaiah is not downplaying it here. He, he is being straight with God, and, and it's important that we all do that, that we be honest with both ourselves and with God. And Isaiah says here then, Lord, I confess our helplessness to save ourselves. And he asks that question, and shall we be saved? You know, if we're depending on ourselves, we are in big trouble because we are all unclean, and not the kind of unclean that soap and water can just wash away. But you might say here that our leprous condition taints even our righteous deeds. Look at verse 6 there. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Lepers uh, were, were considered unclean, so much so that it was thought that um, it would spread to anything that they touched. Our sinful condition is, is like that. We are born sinners, we are bent on selfishness, so much so that even the good things we do are tainted by selfish motives. And Isaiah confesses that here, and he also confesses our fleeting existence. I don't know about the rest of you, but I continue to be stunned by how fast I got to being over 60 years old. It seems like just yesterday, I, I was in my mid-30s when my dad died, and I was half his age. Each of our times for this life being done are coming. Verse 6 here, he meditates on that. All of us wither like a leaf, and, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And it's because of sin that we all must die someday. And Isaiah also confesses to God here then our lack of zeal. As he looks around at the desperate situation in his land, it's clear to him that everyone should be repenting of sin and zealously calling out to God for help. But no one seems to be doing so. As we consider the uh, multiple disturbing situations in our country, so many things that seem in decline, should we also not be calling out to God for help? I think back to when 9-11 happened, and some of you remember, maybe, yeah, for a, for a brief while, even the major news stations were encouraging prayer and seeking God's help. I see none of that today in those places. Only political maneuvering in the midst of our multiple crisis. And Isaiah says of, of his land here in verse 7, There is no one who calls on your name who arouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. And Isaiah says, I confess to you, Lord, here, your, your seeming distancing of yourself and your doling out to us in our natural consequences. He says, there, You have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. And the judgment that was coming upon the nation of Judah was deserved, and Isaiah knew it. And yet he also knew that though the glory days of Israel and Judah were behind him, yet all was not lost. 
God still cared about his people. There was still a relationship there that could be restored because of who God was and who he is. And, and so Isaiah's prayer is also then, Lord, remember our relationship. And in verses 8 and 9, then, we see three different descriptions of that relationship. The first one is of a father and child. Verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our father. Isaiah appeals to the father heart of God there. And, and you know, fathers have a soft spot in their hearts for their children, even when they mess up. You fathers know what I'm talking about. Psalm 103, verse 13, describes that, and it says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And, and so Isaiah is praying here, Lord, have compassion on your children. Don't give up on us completely. Remember, you are our father. And another picture of that relationship we also see here, and that is of a potter and clay. Verse 8, we are the clay, you are the potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. You see, a, a potter takes pride in the works of his hand. And he fashions the clay into useful vessels. Isaiah's prayer is, is that God would remember that he made Israel for his purposes. And he would yet then make them into something useful for him. And it seems to me that that would be an appropriate prayer for us to pray for our nation as well. Something like this. Lord, you guided the minds of those who shaped the founding documents of our land. So that we as a nation would believe that all men are created equal. That, that they are endowed by you their creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as a result of that, we have been a beacon of freedom for two and a half centuries. Lord, make us into something useful yet. Don't let those principles die, Lord, with our generation. Revive the churches of our land to again hold you up as creator and to point to your son, Jesus Christ, as a savior from sin. You, you brought major revival in our land more than once in the past. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. And the third description of this relationship that Isaiah describes it, it is assumed really through the whole history of the nations of Israel and Judah, a, a relationship of God with his people. And, and so Isaiah ends this prayer there in, in um, this chapter with a plea. Lord, have mercy on us, your people. Verse 9, do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, now remember, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. And so he's praying, Lord, limit your anger, limit your memory of our sins. Isaiah knows that well-deserved judgment has already come on the land of Israel to the north. And it's going to be coming on Judah. And as a prophet, he foresees that. He's, he foresees the destruction of Jerusalem that's going to take place and even the destruction of that temple. And, and even though all of that is true, still it doesn't have to be too late for God's people. And so he prays, Lord, after you brought that judgment, don't remember our iniquity forever. Look on our current condition. Hold back your judgment. Will you end your silence and affliction that seems like kind of an abrupt ending to this prayer, doesn't it? A question just kind of hangs there in the air. 
And there needs to be a postscript to this prayer of Isaiah. Because you see, God did hear Isaiah's prayer and the prayers of the remnant that continued to believe in him and to look to him for salvation. And he did come down. Around 2,700 years later, the incarnation happened. And God sent his son to this earth. And God made his name known. He was Jesus Christ. And that name has spread across the globe. And in Jesus, then, God showed tremendous mercy. Uh, unfortunately, many in that day and, and many since then have not recognized the extraordinary person that Jesus was or what he came to accomplish. And others have chosen to reject him rather than to bow to his lordship. The first chapter of the Gospel of John describes this very well. And there it reads, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. God did come down in the form of his Son, who, who lived that sin-free life that none of us could live, and who innocently suffered and died at the hands of those who rejected him. And he got the attention of many more when he miraculously rose from the grave and he then made multiple appearances to as many as 500 at one time. And after 40 days, then he ascended back into heaven. And the Bible tells us that one day he will again rend the heavens and come down. Jesus will return to take all believers to himself in a place that will be forever free of decline. And when Jesus returns, it'll be the end of the world as we know it. And at that time, he will be the judge of all who have rejected him. But until then, our hope and our prayer is that God can use us to get the attention of as many as will listen and to point them to their sin and their need for this Savior. I came across a song I'm not familiar with, but one based on this scripture. And some of the words of it go like this. Lord, let me live to see revival. The dark retreating from the lawn. Throw back the curtains, let the light come pouring in. Flood our desperate hearts. Flood our desperate hearts. So, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. To all the earth is holy ground. Let us pray. Lord God, as we think about the history of the nations of Israel and Judah and the prophets you sent to speak to them and, and how often many of them were not listened to, but your word still spoke to hearts and, and, and some looked to you in those times and found hope. And Lord, we thank you that the word that came to us through Isaiah the prophet is still relevant today. And Lord, that you still care for your people. You still are our creator, and you still are then the potter, and we are the clay. You still have purposes for us, and for this nation. And so, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to look to you, to humble ourselves before you, to recognize our sin and our tendency to wander from you, and, and what um, you would say in your word, and to live selfish lives instead. And Lord, turn our hearts, that we would be revived, that we would look to you again, and, and that that relationship with you would be strengthened as we 
find forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ and eternal life in his name. And Lord, we pray that you'd revive our church, that you would cause us to be light in this community, pointing others to the hope that we have in Jesus, and that many others would be drawn into fellowship with him. We pray in his name. Amen.